This episode of the Film State Show is brought to you by Mubi, a curated streaming service showcasing exceptional films from around the globe. For your free 30-day trial, go to mubi.com slash filmstage. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to a brand new episode of the Film Stage Show, the movie review podcast for thefilmstage.com. As always, I'm your host, Brian J. Rowan. With me today, we have Michael Snydell. Oh, I'm here. Okay, good. We, your pause was actually very frightening to me. <laughs> Not just you. <laughs> we also have Bill Graham. Yes, we do. Yes, we do. All right. And once more back on the podcast, representing the University of Maryland, it's Roxana Adati. Yes, hello. Oh, am I here only in my capacity as a turp? <laughs> yeah, well, Michael keeps bringing on Chicago people, so anytime I can get a local on, I'm pretty freaking thrilled about it. Yeah, oh boy. that's fine. Yes, from Maryland's deep, deep suburbs. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Chicago's so much cooler than us, though. I think we have to admit that. What, because it's got a big, like, sculpture of a bean? I don't think so. Well, and I think their food is better. I mean, like, right? As a New Yorker, I am shocked to hear anyone say that. Well, I think their food is better than Maryland's food. Like, what do we have? Just, it's all crab cakes cakes. and football thing. Yeah, Yeah, I was about to say, do I have to quote Wedding Crashers? What's what's wrong with crab cakes? I mean, crab um, cakes are delicious. Crab cakes are delicious. I do not want to besmirch them. But sometimes I just want, like, a bowl of, like, ragu sauce and the... (laughs) To pretend that it's pizza. I mean, what about I just like, want that. Uh, what about like pit beef? You know, what about the burger oh, cookies? Yeah, no, that's true. Oh, no, burger cookies are, you know, hit or miss. But pit beef, you are correct. Okay, I take it back. Maryland pride fully activated. Yeah. Maryland fucking yeah. rules. Take that yeah. all of Chicago. <laughs> Which <laughs> probably probably has a higher population than the entire state of Maryland. Probably, yeah. Probably. <laughs> Who oh boy. Anyway, we're here today to talk about Sound of Metal. So look forward to that. Uh, before we get into that, uh, Roxana, would you like to introduce yourself to the listeners at home? Oh, sure. Uh, my name is Roxana Haddadi. I am a film and TV critic. You can find my work at Pajiba, The AV Club, RogerEbert.com, Crooked Marquee, and a couple of other places. Most recently, Vulture and Polygon. Um, and you can follow me on Twitter for, I don't know, my dumb, thirsty thoughts, but that's about it. <laughs> Look, it says, as we go into, like, the eighth month of quarantine, <laughs> coming to the end of the year, one of the largest drinking moments in human history, I feel like everyone's Twitter is just going to turn into thirsty thoughts. Yeah, I think we're, like, heavily degrading, um, <laughs> as although <a> theoretically, <laughs> as a culture, <laughs> although theoretically things are on the upswing, maybe. But, uh, but yeah. I think Wonder Woman 1984 will probably see a strong Chris Pine thirst uptick, and we'll just carry that energy through 2021. I I, I don't think there's anything wrong with this. I don't. I'm I'm fully looking forward to it. Okay. I am best, a best Chris. I'm I'm like getting ready to watch Tenet tomorrow, and so you can just expect nothing but <gasps> tweets about uh, Washington and Pattinson and Debicki from me for like the next five days. Yeah, what is Debicki is queen. 
and Hamish Patel. He's also in that, and he's very, very handsome. They put him in a lot of very good leather jackets. And uh, Kenneth Branagh. <laughs> it's, yeah. it's nice to know we have leather jackets in the future past. In the future uh, past present. Yeah. Past. Maybe. Present. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. And then Kenneth Branagh just being terrible. But um, but yeah. And who's yeah. that other guy that I like? Who's in that that movie? Martin Donovan. That's it. I can I can thirst oh. over him a little bit. <laughs> Yeah, just like thir- wait, wait, but you're not gonna thirst over Kenneth, correct? It depends. It depends. Oh, he's one of those oh, guys. He's a shit. Oh, this guy. Yeah, he sucks, dude. He sucks. Yeah, I, he's I one of those guys who movie to movie, I literally don't know if I'm looking at the same man. <laughs> I just think he has become such a like hack in terms of directing that I just I find him intolerable and I don't understand why people keep casting him as Russians because his accent is embarrassing and yet it's both Jack Ryan and Tenet like I don't he's just got I don't know what we're doing great here. square Russian face <laughs> he just looks like an oligarch I mean what do you want to do yeah no, it's terrible it's terrible I just I don't understand how Jack Ryan. So that was like a standalone. Excuse Jack, me. We need to say its full name. It's Jack Ryan Shadow right. Recruit. Shadow yes, Recruit. Excuse me. Yes. Excuse me. Yes. <laughs> Jack Ryan is an Amazon TV show that had a good first season, and I have not watched the second. And uh, Jack I Ryan think, Shadow Recruit. I think it's Recruit. actually called Tom Clancy's Jack Ryan. Oh, Bill. You know, mm, you, you correct yeah. me once more. Yes, yes, that's true. Also, like, I just as a policy hate Jack Ryan, so maybe I'm not yeah. particularly objective enough to. Uh, He's like contribute. meant to be the most boring person. Like that was like pretty much yeah. Tom Clancy's pitch. Is like, I what guess. if a boring analyst? But I, no, I'm not saying that to like defend him. I'm saying right. that's literally his point. Right. And so, like, you just kind of have to accept it because it's not like they took. I don't know, Superman and made him the most boringest person. Like they took Jack Ryan, a man who has the most boring first name twice. So boring. But then don't you feel like he should just be, but see, then I guess my issue is that like, whatever, we don't have to, no, it doesn't matter. We don't have to, (laughs) it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. I just hate Jack Ryan as a policy because I'm tired of American propaganda, but like, it's fine. It's fine. We can move on. American propaganda is my first favorite kind of propaganda, followed closely by <laughs> British, <laughs> Russian, and Irish. Jesus. It's okay. You know, uh, women can get into the propaganda as well. Like, look at our uh, wonderful Wonder Woman and all of her yes. super great thoughts about Israel and Palestine. <laughs> yes, mm. I can't. I can't. On the can't. subject of propaganda, um, I watched uh, s- some of A Hidden Life with my four-year-old daughter yesterday. Oh, yeah. How did you feel about that? She was confused by the newsreel footage that begins it. Um, I had to tell her that it was a bad thing. <laughs> she was oh, like, no. they look so excited. And I was like, oh. yeah, but not in a good way. <laughs> and then oh. once the, you know, lyrical, bucolic, malic stuff really kicks in, she was like, it's pretty. What are they doing? Why are they doing that? Who's she? Are they sad now? Okay, what inspired you to do this? <laughs> so it actually is is a funny story that leads into uh, watching the sound uh, sound of metal. <clears throat> I got okay. home. Uh, my daughter was hanging out with my ex wife, and I was like, "I'm going to go watch Sound of Metal." And so I lay down on my bed and I turn on my TV, and my daughter runs into the room, and she's like, "I don't want to be with mommy. I want to watch a movie with you." And I was like, "This movie's rated R." 
we're not watching it together. She's like, okay. And then I thought I could like maybe shoo her out of the room by watching something that I assumed she would find boring. <laughs> but instead mm-hmm. she was very taken in by those beautiful uh, Austrian mountainscapes. Mm. And there's also cows and stuff. So she was really into it. Well, I mean, I get it. I mean, the farm, the farm life is very charming. <laughs> I think she <laughs> until also until you realize how grueling and terrible it is. But yeah, yeah, she was like, "What are they doing?" And I was like, "They're using scythes to cut the grass." And she's like, "Why?" And I said, "Because that's the only <laughs> option they had." <laughs> Did you really use the word scythes? Yes. Oh, okay. Well, that's very nice. You're really giving her a strong vocabulary. I don't know how to talk to children. You have a child. I know. And since she has been a child, I have just used the largest words around her. I mean, I think I, but I do think I prefer that to like perpetual baby talk. Well, that's the thing is like, I, I hate baby talk. I have uh, people in my life who've used baby talk for far too long. And then when like they interface with their parents, even as like adults, they kind of slip into it. And so I was just like, I'm just, uh, I'm not going to do it because I won't know when to stop. (laughs) Yeah, no. And like, she'll always be a child. So you have to like set a certain tone that is consistent throughout her entire life. And it can't be baby talk. Exactly. So when she grows up and becomes like a 20 to 30 year old, I will talk to her just as I did when she was a baby and it will be totally normal. Or if you regressed and then did baby talk, like in a curious case of Benjamin Button scenario, (laughs) that would be terrible. Please don't do that. No, that's I'm not planning on pulling a linguistic Benjamin Button. Okay, thank you. (laughs) <laughs> thank you for that You're I'm, Brian, glad, I'm also glad just hear that. realizing this is not probably the first Malik movie Cora has seen in her life it's it? not <laughs> I once tried to I didn't try to make her watch it I put on while she was around the new world <laughs> oh man and she was like ooh what's this and I said it's the story of Pocahontas and she says oh awesome like you know she didn't say oh awesome she said I love Pocahontas right. And she was deeply confused. <laughs> well, but at least you're not putting on like the thin red line or something. You know what no, I mean? Yeah. Like you're at least putting on things that are very like landscape heavy and beautiful. I mean, beautiful to look at if you sort of don't know exactly what you're looking at. Yeah. Um, at some point I was asked, are you showing, you know, her hidden life? And I said, it is never too early to learn about the dangers of fascism and the importance That's of resisting true. it. That is true. Yeah. So when she did asked she why he went to prison. Yeah. <laughs> Wait, I'm sorry. So did she stay with you throughout like the entire four hour runtime? <laughs> no, it was like when he gets transferred to, I think, Tegel prison is when I, she like dipped out. But uh, so she stuck around for a long, like, a long time. But she asked what was wrong, like what he did wrong. And I said, you know, he's he's standing up for his principles. He doesn't believe it's a just war. And so he's going to jail. And she said, oh. You I'm sorry, was really that it? That was it? Yeah, children. oh my god. Yeah, what? <laughs> His philosophical beliefs did not allow him to engage in an unjust combat, and then he just was imprisoned and killed. All right, yeah. sweetie, have a good night. Like, what? <laughs> there's a, we, we need to move on, but I just need to say it. There's an episode of Black Books, um, which is a very funny uh, UK TV show, Um where these two guys who run a bookstore decide that they want to write a children's book in order to like make a lot of money. And one of them flips out after they failed so many times and he just starts writing and he makes like a 6,000 page book. 
and his partner's like, it's good. It's, it's great. Don't get me wrong. But you know, between like the Stalinist purges and like, you know, the questions of like, you know, British academia and the 6,000 page run time, you know, I just, I don't know. And the other guy says drunkenly, we can't talk down to children. And uh, I apparently internalized that as my life. Yeah, like a lot. Like tons. <laughs> What's next? You're going to be like, what else can I show her? The wind that shakes the barley? Let's do it. Like, what else? <laughs> so, Cora, the thing you need to understand is William of Orange. <laughs> oh, boy. Whatever, man. That sounds tight. At least she's not, you know watching peppa pig all day every day or something she tries to she really does yeah. try to but i i, yeah. I rest control every now Let and then <laughs> i will mold her in my image i have had to accept the fact that she will occasionally watch peppa pig and like pj masks and stuff but you know mm-hmm. the moments when she seeds control we swing wildly in the opposite direction <laughs> anyway we're here to talk about sound of metal uh before we do that yes we are we are twitter.com slash the film stage show or just film stage show facebook the film stage show uh emails podcast filmstage.com give us a comment or rating on itunes go to patreon.com slash film stage show to give us your money to help us produce these episodes we are also brought to you by movie uh every day movie premieres a new film whether it's timeless classic cult favorite or an acclaimed masterpiece it's guaranteed to be either a movie you've been dying to see one you've never heard of before, and there will always be something new to discover. With movie, each and every film is hand-selected, so you'll never spend more time looking for something great to watch. Instead, you'll actually be watching something great. It's like your own personal film festival, streaming anytime, anywhere. They've got some great stuff coming to Mubi. Uh, they've got a brand new series, Solving Puzzles, The Cinema of Hong Sang-soo. I will read up first. Uh, the first thing they're going to post is Woman is the future of man. Hong Sang Su's delicate and tranquil woman is the future of man. It's the Korean master's first feature to open theatrically in the US following its Cannes premiere. Melancholic story of memory and longing. Hong uses his measured touch and mosaic of viewpoints to unearth candid human emotions. So if you would like to see this or any of the many, many other films that is currently on Mubi, all you have to do is go to mubi.com slash filmstage for a free 30-day trial. Again, that is mubi.com slash filmstage. That is it. Uh, we already talked about me showing my daughter Terrence Malick films, so we burned through a lot of time, so I don't want to waste too much time on it. But uh, COVID Corner, updates in everyone's lives. Michael Snydell, do you have anything you'd like to tell the audience? Uh, yeah, I'm uh, I'm engaged. He did to, it! Uh, hey! Well, my fiance. I'm like, that word's still weird. Now I just got to police both you and Bill. (laughs) Say say that again? You and Bill, like, Bill, when you first got engaged, you constantly still said girlfriend. And I just had to keep making fun of you until you stopped. I know, it's a problem. So I'm trying to help (laughs) both of you. I'm sorry. I'm sorry, Erica. I I don't think that, uh, I don't think my partner's going to be offended if I (laughs) call her girlfriend accidentally. It is always. Go ahead. <laughs> it's characteristic of our relationship that we've now done something where we're like, oh, you're going to do that? Well, I'm not marrying you anymore. We've definitely done that. <laughs> the I'm wedding so is petty. off. <laughs> <laughs> Just shouted theatrically all the time. <laughs> Uh, I'm very glad that you stopped just using the random term partner and then progressed to girlfriend and now fiance. I, I like 
partner because I try to be uh, tolerant of my many friends who have, you know, a various different kinds of partners. That's just me. Yeah, but trying you can define to... your own experiences. I I recognize that. I, okay. I go back and forth. I was also weird for a little while about naming Emily, and now all the time I don't even tag her, even though she technically has Twitter. And I just be like, "Oh, hey, Emily did this dumb thing," and now everyone on Twitter can see. <laughs> I like how oh, you're like, I don't even want to say her name in case someone like finds her when there's literally 400 million Emilys in the United States alone. I, her last name is. Too, Why would so you? Whoa! Oh, no. Just dox your fiance like that. <laughs> There's a hundreds of you are gonna get swatted, sir. <laughs> Careful. Oh, All right, and uh, is wild nasty. out here. Yeah, you need to you need to edit that out. <laughs> I will put a bleep over it if I remember. Um, I, and I just got texted by Emily, and she said, "I hear you, jerk." <laughs> <laughs> So if you are trying to find Michael Snydell, uh, keep in mind, lives in Chicago. His apartment building was a polling place, and yes. he lives with someone whose full name is Emily. Do we have his uh, social security number to also read out over the air? Does anybody have that? Not yet. Uh, once we get <laughs> okay. a once we get a partnership with LifeLock, we we're going to use Michael Snydell's social security just number. Ask Michael right now. I mean, he's in a very giving mood. It sounds like he might just blurt it out. Does I'm it start with five two two? I'm no? gonna radically change the subject and say that uh, Hannah Wood had just tweeted about Trek lingerie, and no, now this is something no, that no. is in my life, and no. I am sharing with all of you in the no. chat right no. now. To I'm not gonna click on it. The subject. No, I'm 100 percent not looking at that. No. Yeah. No. Now that I know what it is, it's I'm just sixty nine dollars. It's sixty nine dollars. Nice. Oh. <laughs> No. Oh, I'm looking at it. It's also hideous. It's like not it's even real bad. That's, it's real yeah. bad. That's a bathing suit. That's not lingerie. That's like a I... sexy maid's uniform. I don't. I don't <laughs> like it. Frills. Just with the frills. You know. How have they had so much demand that they're requiring pre-orders? I find this offensive. <laughs> Is that like it's in the National Film Registry? <laughs> Someone replied to that. Is this the 2020 National Film Registry inductee merch? <laughs> mm, horrible. Truly horrible. God. Fantastic. Um, anyone else got any major life updates they want to throw out before we we get to our review? Uh, someone used an image from Sorcerer and said, uh, "Breaking first truck with coronavirus vaccine for U.S. about to roll out." And I'm, I'm that's loving a good this one. Tweet. Yeah, that's a nice one. Yeah. I like it. All right. Well, we are not here to talk about things that we've seen on Twitter or, uh, you know, to <laughs> hopefully dox Michael Snydell and get him swatted. Hopefully, oh no. <laughs> we are here to talk about Sound of Metal. Uh, the new film from writer-director Darius Martyr, who you may know as the writer of The Place Beyond the Pines. Yes, 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 yes. Derek yes. Cian France also has a story credit. Story by credit, yep. One, yep. Yeah. Yep, yeah. Yep, yep, Anyway, I'm sure we'll talk about all of that once we talk about the movie. Uh, before we get into that, uh, this is a movie about a heavy metal drummer who uh, discovers that he is beginning to lose his hearing and must struggle with that. It stars Riz Ahmed, Olivia Cook, and Paul Racy, 
And here is the trailer. You sound great. Yeah, right. What? You're telling me you weren't feeling it? You were in it. All right, so this movie is now streaming on Amazon Prime, so if you have a Prime membership, you can check it out at no additional cost. We are here to talk about it as... I'm sorry, go. You would never know that if you just happened to go on Prime, considering I had to search for it, and I knew it was on Prime. So did I. Let's spend the next 40 (laughs) minutes talking about how Amazon Prime is the best and worst streaming provider, because they have great movies, and they are all impossible to find. And also, unlike Netflix, they seem to do no promotion for the new movies coming to their, uh, their service. Especially if they are actual Amazon Studios movies. It's very bizarre. Yeah, their um their whole mechanic, like their whole pitch seems to be if they have to work for it, they'll appreciate it more. <laughs> you know that feeling of of walking through a, a blockbuster video and you stumble upon something that you've never heard of and it turns out that it's great? We're gonna make a streaming service that very subtly evokes that sensation. You know, besides being a truly horrible company, though, that I am using far more than I'd like to at the moment, like, they also, they do pretty decent with the things that they pay to buy. <laughs> like, they've had a decent track record. You know, some things that you'll never remember, like that air balloon movie with Eddie Redmayne. I think that was. Oh, fun. like the Aeronauts? Yes, oh. the Aeronauts, yes. God, that movie oh. sucks. Oh, that is no. actually, weirdly enough, the movie that I saw the most advertisement for from yeah, them. Yeah, I saw, I saw commercials <laughs> for that constantly. Yep, Bananas. same here. But they've yeah. also done like Manchester by the Sea, which I have contractually Adelson. obligated to bring up once an episode. Mm. They do love and friendship. Maiden. Yeah. Yeah, a lot of a lot of smaller stuff too. I, I'm just saying, love and friendship. They they have had interesting stuff. Oh, it's love and friendships. Yes, that's uh, great. Great yeah. stuff. Sorry, I just wanted to rant about that for a second because it's dumb. <laughs> Church <laughs> and I'm Hill. Angry. Church Hill. Anyway, um, let's uh. So, but yes, so this is on there. So now you know. So check it out. Uh, we as always begin in our nutshell thoughts before moving on to a spoiler section, and we of course begin with our guest. Roxana, what did you think of Sound of Metal? Um, I wholeheartedly love this movie, like in pretty much every way that somebody can love a film. Uh, I saw it last year at TIFF, and it was probably my favorite movie that I saw at TIFF last year. I was very excited when it got picked up. Um, I am very much a sucker for this sort of like, how does toxic masculinity manifest um, in certain people that are outsiders that you wouldn't expect to sort of fall prey to that sort of ideology. Um, I think you saw it very clearly in the place beyond the pines and in Ryan Gosling's character, Luke. And I think Riz Ahmed's Ruben is very much sort of a variation on that type. Somebody who is very desperate to prove himself and to show his worth after sort of having lived a life in the shadows. And so I just really loved how the movie explores that idea and how it sort of overlaps with the idea of addiction and what can you 
accept about your changing circumstances in life and what can you not accept. I thought the movie did a very good job navigating that. And just in terms of sound design, I don't think I've ever heard a movie like this. I mean, certainly there have been movies that take advantage of the fact that you can do a lot of interesting, immersive stuff with sound. Coppola's conversation comes to mind. Um, But I think that this movie did a very good job putting us fully in the shoes of someone who has lost his hearing. And how does that force you to confront ideas and thoughts and perspectives that maybe can get not to be too literal, but that can get sort of drowned out in day-to-day life otherwise. Um, So I thought it was very thoughtful and introspective. And aside from like just being thirsty for Riz Ahmed, um, (laughs) in terms of like his acting ability, (laughs) not just, you know, my sexual obsession or whatever. um, You said it, not us. (laughs) Yeah. I do think that he is very good at a certain kind of stillness. Um, And I think he is very good at communicating anguish. And so I thought that his work here really reminded me of what he did in The Night Of and sort of that transformative quality, both physically and emotionally in terms of his work. So I don't know, man. I love it a lot. I'm low-key obsessed with it. And I pretty much have been telling everybody I know to watch it. So strong strong recommendation i feel like you have been boosting this film on twitter for like a year and a half yeah pretty much because i saw it last september yeah okay yeah so there it is yeah (laughs) i was i couldn't remember if i was even being hyperbolic or not no you were very on point with that (laughs) (laughs) um i will say riz ahmed is great at physical stillness because uh when he is still all of the kinetic energy in his body moves to his eyes Mm -hmm. yes (laughs) yeah he just concentrates it i don't know like who else has a better stare at this point like i I feel like he just paddington "Mm, that's true but that yeah that's his hard stare that's true um paddington's hard stare really can communicate a lot shout out paddington everyone uh we all love paddington here so no that's just how it is um what was i gonna say it was something about when i think of nightcrawler even more than than mm. uh, Gyllenhaal's deranged turn, which I love, I think mm-hmm. of Riz Ahmed's like wide-eyed, like kind of confused, like just reaction to everything that happens to him. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think he does that very well too in The Sisters Brothers, which is a movie that we very rarely talk oh, about. Yeah. Oh but, yeah, that um, movie. I remember that yeah, movie. That was that like movie. a solid B of a movie. <laughs> yeah. It's like it wasn't a great movie, but it was good enough. And I yeah. liked everybody in it. And, you know, it was fine. But um, but yeah, I, I think that he is very good at sort of making clear that like he's working through some shit. You know what I mean? And mm-hmm. I just I enjoy that very much as an actor. I think, again, that's what Gosling did really well with Place Beyond the Pines and sort of why his segment was my favorite segment. So. Yeah, what did everybody else think? Let's move on to Michael Snydell. Yeah, I you know, I I like this one. I I think I was admittedly uh kind of worried about um what this was going to be when I got a sense that it was going to be uh you, you know, a a character study or kind of a, a movie about healing or rehabilitation because I think that just very easily has a chance of being tidy. 
And I, I, I think I start with that because this is, I mean, we've already mentioned Darius Martyr is uh, that he did the place beyond the pines and his relationship with Derek Cien France. And I think it's his treatment of this film that really makes it a lot more interesting to me. Um, I, we will speak further about it, but I will say the hour mark of this film, I was like, Oh, I don't know what you're doing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I really like that, that I can say that about a few different kind of inflection points in this movie. And uh, I think it kind of skips an emotional, almost like linearity uh, in a way that's really interesting. I, I think here's what I, I there's a few things I want to talk about. Uh, one is that I think Riz is good. But we have to mention Paul Racy. I think Paul yes. Racy is yes. by far he is, uh, the best performance. Of he's us. my MVP in this movie. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. yeah. <clears throat> Joe rules. Yeah. Um, yeah I, I, I think Riz, he is really good. I, I, that's a really good uh, comparison, though. The night of Roxana. There is mm-hmm. definitely a lot of this kind of interesting evolution of someone who who is like very presently trying to deal with this without like losing themselves in Mm -hmm. it. And and I think there's something really interesting in the fact that like his, his attitude is like somewhat what you expect, but it's also a lot more, a lot more thoughtful. It's a lot more grounded in relation to how he talks to his partner and uh, you know, how he talks to his, his friends and his sponsors. And then, the people in this community. I will say, I, I think that some of this, a, a lot of the stuff in the deaf community works really well for me. I think the one thing that's a little bit too on the nose, and this just might be me, is I just think some of the sound design stuff is less interesting in terms of audio to me than uh, than Riz's uh, body language. Like, I, I think I, I think it's notable to me that I find, you know, sequences at the table when they're all having a back and forth conversation without any words a lot more thrilling than some of the stuff later that. Yeah, that's that's spoilers, but it it takes a very different turn and I'm not sure I found that quite as satisfying, but I like again, this movie does not really I, there's inflection points I didn't expect. And the last thing I just want to mention, I do at some point want to have a conversation or I, and maybe even right now, I don't want to stop the conversation, but does anybody have thoughts about Riz Ahmed being a movie star among all of these, it, it seems weird to say ostensibly real people in the deaf community, but these are uh, deaf people. I mean, Paul Racy is not deaf. He grew up with deaf parents as, as I was uh, researching it. So he like sign language is like his you know first language at this point. But I'm just curious, did anyone have any hesitations or thoughts about that? Because I'm not sure what I should feel about, <laughs> about this. I th- did you think it was a good performance? I do. Well, then there's your answer. I don't, you know. (laughs) I think it's one of those things. 
Well, uh, no, I was just going to say, I think that this is a very cynical answer, but perhaps the most feasible one, which is, is that what it takes to get the movie made? Uh, it's a fair Maybe? question. I, I, I mean, mean I don't, is yeah. he, is he there yet? I mean, it's not a question of, is he there yet? I think it's a question of, do you have a movie star? And, and that's, but that's, I mean, that's what I'm saying is, does he can I mean, he's been in big movies. I mean, he was in that God awful rogue one, you know, he okay. was in the night of, but like, I don't, okay. I don't know. Biting that, my tongue off. He was yeah. the villain in Venom. Yeah. Oh, I didn't see yeah, Venom. Like, Wait, he's the yeah. villain in Venom. Yeah, yeah. I'm watching movie, Venom tonight. Like, yeah, yeah he's like, kind of fun, honestly. Yeah, he's like <laughs> yeah, he's, he's very he's doing a very much like an Ozymandias thing in Venom, yeah, which okay. is very enjoyable. He was wait, um, he was he in he was in the, the Bourne movie? I think it was just called Jason yes, Bourne, wasn't he? Yes, terrible in, in that. The Bourne yeah. movie. Yes, he was movie. in the OA. He was. Uh, yeah, we talked about Sister Brothers. He was in Girls, and I think he's done a very good job yeah. steadily amassing like supporting work. And then breaking into something bigger. I mean, he was the lead in The Reluctant Fundamentalist, which didn't get much attention, but it mm-hmm. was Mira Nair coming off of the namesake, so it was sort of a big deal. Um, so, uh, and the other thing, too, is that he does have sort of an ingrained fan base as a rapper and musician and What's somebody who was like, yeah, somebody who was like directing his own short films, like his latest um his music video for his song, The Long Goodbye, got nominated for a bunch of like indie British film awards. So I think that he has a certain level of up and coming clout that honestly probably helped in getting it made. Um, so I don't I don't know. I, guess I think I... it's a question worth asking. I, I like I think it's a question worth asking. I just I don't especially as we have so many questions about like opportunities for people in film. I just, I don't know. I personally haven't seen any takes that are like Riz Ahmed shouldn't have done the role. I think part of it is also his, his own specific journey in the film and and Mm -hmm. stuff of that nature. So I think, I think that's, that's all relevant to all of this, right? It's not, it's not, he doesn't start, uh, you know, without, uh, being able to hear so that's kind of right i think i would have paused if if this were a movie about someone who was born deaf mm-hmm. that's a good point yeah oh, but i yeah. i think the the fact that he is losing his hearing makes it it, it just makes it more palatable i guess you know like i you right. know if something happens to someone in the course of a movie i don't you know it's just it's, it's one of those weird and, things like and Two things. Did we ask <clears throat> this question of Bradley Cooper in Star is Born? See, that's you know what I mean? Interesting like, because, well, actually, I heard that Bradley Cooper actually did have like a thing in his ear. Like, that so was did a... Riz Ahmed. Riz oh, Ahmed wore them all during filming. Yeah. No, no. He... I mean, like, I think Bradley Cooper actually had to, like, remember his, Jackson Maine says something like, I had a thing in my ear and I had to get it removed. And mm-hmm. so I'm like, I think that Bradley Cooper apparently had something like that. Hmm. But, um, I mean, so that's, the, I mean, that's a, that's a, th- that's a thing. Like if it's, so just with that context, but also I think like if, if you are in the world of music, I, I have a lot of friends who used to play in like punk and metal bands right? and, you know, diminished hearing because of extremely loud noises is a thing that mm-hmm. happens to you. So it's, 
in that case you go on tour oh yeah and like these these people aren't you know playing shea stadium like the beatles you know they're they're in these dark (laughs) clubs and yeah yeah and this was based on a real story it was based on the band jucifer and how this happened to their drummer yeah so i mean it's a movie that like was being knocked around for like 11 years like i interviewed martyr and he said that he when he and Derek like got together i think they talked about doing this first before they talked about doing place beyond the pines see that's um, interesting to me because this definitely feels like it, it between post, the two it should yeah. be the first movie <laughs> Mm-hmm. because it's like okay what is this like sure we've got some airstream stuff but like uh, it's primarily centered in like two locations right and meanwhile place beyond the pines is like we're gonna tell a 40-year story of the history of two families right Bifricated. It's, yeah but but don't you feel i mean multiple I prison like, rob or prison robberies bank robberies but i feel like place beyond the pines is very much like taking its cues from east of eden And so I feel like sometimes it's easier to tell like that sort of sprawling epic story because we have so many like versions of that already Mm -hmm. that you can sort of like pull and choose from what already exists and like what sort of archetypal stories you have in that mold. Um, Where sometimes I do think it's harder to tell like a more intimate story. And this is like super intimate. Like there's not a moment when... Ahmed isn't on screen and there isn't sort of a second once once you're in his head I think the movie doesn't leave it and I do think that sort of is more difficult and also like the middle section of Place Beyond the Pines sucks as much as I love that movie (laughs) the middle section is bad so just FYI (laughs) interesting I can't even remember what the middle section. The middle section is Bradley Cooper like realizing that like cops are corrupt. Like, oh wow, big shock. <laughs> so that sounds about right. Yeah. No, I I, I do want to say I didn't mean to derail the conversation. I just wanted to pose this question as it was something I was knocking around and didn't feel. I you know I I feel better. I I, I mean Brian between what you said is if he started deaf as well as uh, Roxanne, you, you mentioning that this came from, you know, someone else's stories and, and things like this. I, mm-hmm. I mean, I think this is I, to, to use an example of something that I liked at the time, but I think is absolutely representative of bad, like, you know, like disability, miserableist movies, like stronger. That's something mm-hmm. I liked at the time, but that so much of that movie is him uh, just being so angry and struggling to learn how to walk. And obviously that's an experience that comes with someone who, you know, whose legs are uh, blown, blown off, I guess is the language <laughs> I'm using there. Um, but like this yeah, does and- really do that in, in like impressive ways to me. So, so that's, that's what I guess I, I, I want, I, I just want to bring that up now uh, before we really got started. So I, I, I think I wasn't having a huge problem with it, but honestly, after both the things that you two have said, uh, it sounded I think like I you were behind me. It sounded like you were concerned that you weren't having a problem with it. Yes, maybe. <laughs> um, I mean, it, no, it's, it's a totally, Logical thing to ask, given all the conversations that are going on around representation in movies and such. But I think everything that we've said is kind of the reason why it hasn't seemed to have been a thing 
Mm-hmm. I don't even know if that sentence was grammatically correct. Um, that has come up a lot in the discussion around this movie. Yeah, well, and I think, I think like the. I'm sorry, I keep cutting you off. Please, no, 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 I'm sorry. Right no, 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 go for it. No. We yield to guests I, I, here. No, no, no. I, I'm sorry. I'm I'm getting away from the movie, but I just I I think the thing is I I will personally say. Um, disability was not something I understood until very recently. And even then I have such a a secondhand and thirdhand understanding of it with friends. And like, this is, this is going to be such a generic example, but if someone is in a wheelchair or some level of physically disabled, uh, the, you know, a, a common thing that I thought is, for instance, oh, you should hold the door, but like be, you know, like a certain things of courteousness, for instance, I've learned are just as condescending as, um, I, I, I sorry, like I, in terms of, in my perception, this seems really, uh, this seems really humane and smart and, you know, I, I can't speak of it to say progressive, but seems right to me. But also I can understand if uh, someone else in this community would be like, ah, shit, another one of these. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Is that – does that clarify things a little bit? I think so. But I think one of the things that the movie does really well is that it's very inarguable that Riz's reaction to all this is coming from a place of like – privilege and addiction Mm -hmm. and i say riz but i mean like ruben's character yes so i think that like unlike something like stronger which sort of treats disability as something to overcome i think this movie is very much more about like his inability to accept his reality because when he's in well we'll get into spoiler talk later but yeah i just i think it's i think it's just doing something different and it's a shifting of perspective that we don't see very often in this sort of work. And the thing you just said is actually a line of dialogue that we can <laughs> obviously get into its context. Yes. So, yeah. I did. Sorry. I'm sorry if I stopped the, brought the com- podcast. You definitely did. <laughs> I mean, but it's, it's, Bill's just sitting there like Bill aching to give his Bill, nutshell Bill, thoughts. Yeah. yeah. Thoughts. Bill and Brian, I'd love to hear some nutshells. <laughs> uh, I don't like that. Okay. Okay. (laughs) Anyways, I'll pretend I didn't hear it. Hey, uh, I don't know if that's appropriate. Maybe that's not appropriate. Don't talk to me, guys. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, Bill, what are your basic spoiler-free thoughts on Sound of Metal as my dog tries to dig its way through my door? Um, I really, really enjoyed this movie. I think the emotional journey that Riz Ahmed's character goes through uh, is really... It just it just really grabs you. Um, I it it's funny because I I've known a few drummers in my lifetime, and uh, every time I start to realize like what they essentially do and how much noise fucking drums make, I I I weep for their ears. Uh, if they're not wearing like giant uh, you know sound isolating uh, earphones or whatever. Um, I just don't know how they're going to have any kind of life outside of that. So um, <clears throat> that being said, I think the middle stretch of this film is definitely going to test some people's patience. Uh, I personally found it really ingratiating and lovely. And I found that the entire kind of um, uh 
journey that happens there without kind of touching too much on on what actually happens uh is is really just inspiring and it's uplifting and i love that shit uh because it gives me insight into a world that i have no idea like what that looks like what that sounds like what that feels like or any of those things um and so yeah i I mean this is this is one of those things that makes me want to learn sign language so you know, that I could be helpful in certain situations, not to sound like a, a, I guess a white knight, but you know, like it sounds like this would be a helpful thing to, to have kind of in, in my back pocket if, if it comes across. Um, but yeah, I, I, I just, I was really struck by this film and, uh, I enjoyed it immensely, especially for the performances. Yeah. I mean, as for me, I, I really enjoyed this film. I think Riz Ahmed is really great. Um, I wasn't sure how to feel about it at first. Um, I was kind of thrown off by the the direction the story takes, like almost immediately. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was just like, "Oh, this is where we're going! Like, this is crazy." And then I also wasn't sure how I felt about a number of spoilery things until the spoilers happened, and then I was <laughs> like, "Oh, good! This movie like followed a pattern of like." thought or growth or whatever that i i happen to agree with so i don't have to feel like icky about the way that this is basically born itself out i will uh i mean i've already agreed with everyone who i need to agree with <laughs> i think <laughs> riz ahmed is really great i think uh paul racy is the standout here um i think as a as a kind of like look at addictions of all types uh at codependency especially um and uh, uh, you know kind of like accepting or not accepting new circumstances and what they can mean for you um it's a it's a very it's like a stellar it's a stellar look at all of those things um so yeah that's it i mean i, I already feel like we've talked about this movie a lot so i feel like we get to my nutshell thoughts and i'm like you should already know i've already talked mm-hmm. effusively mm-hmm. about many good aspects of this movie Yep. I, okay. For a little inside baseball, I, I was a, a bit of a dickhead on Slack last night when <laughs> when you said something, Brian. And and I'm I I would like to hear a, a couple more thoughts about that. You, you you I really thought you were doing a bit. I, I know you were not, and I was a an ass about it. But I you would said you like I to do a dramatic was... reading of what I oh, said? Jesus Christ! What is going on right now? Oh my God. Wait, Bill, no, did you not I, see I, it? I, I, I I saw exactly what he's talking about, but I didn't realize that this was going to be fodder for the podcast. Jesus, I become a become a patron, and you can read it. <laughs> and more times, I make an ass of myself. I, anyway, Brent, you said you were surprised uh, that there wasn't that much metal in it, and then went a little bit further to say um, that you were surprised it didn't deal a little bit more with him specifically within the music community. So, so my. I, I, my background is I think that I've talked about this a billion times on the podcast, but in college, I spent the last two years living in a house that served as a DIY punk and metal venue. Wait, so, where was this? Did I uh, know this? I don't know. It was on uh, St. Andrew's Place in College Park. Oh, okay. Okay. It I knew the- there was a place like this in Tacoma Park that a bunch of my friends lived at. Oh, but I didn't. Know. Yeah. Yeah. No, I didn't live at that one. What was the name mm-hmm. of that place? I can't <laughs> that remember. I don't remember, <laughs> but I do. But it was well, it wasn't even a rival one. It was like it was just very much. Warriors. Of... <laughs> no. So that's actually no. what's what's awesome is that the DIY scene 
is super supportive. So like, yeah, I know that we knew people at a different house that was in the Tacoma Silver Spring area. I can't remember the name of the house. I should have. I mean, if I had known this question was going to come up, I would have texted my friend Chris. Ours was called the House of Awesome Times. Mm -hmm. Um and so we we would host or, metal or awesome and, times <laughs> happen. Yeah, Only. yeah, pretty much. I mean, Only. like it was spray painted on the wall of the basement. Uh, you was, you are not awesome. Get out of the house of awesome times. You had to be awesome, and awesome means a lot of things, but mainly it means not being a dick. Like that's like the <laughs> one rule of the scene is you can punch someone in the face as long as they are willing to be punched in the face, and you're cool getting punched back. But if you are a dick, then it's like we've all seen everybody wants some, right? Like sure. when they're in the punk house and the one guy is going too hard and so he gets shoved out of yeah. the mosh pit. Like, that's what it's like. Anyway, so. But don't you feel like the movie did a good job showing that like Ruben and Lou are each other's world? Like, right. I don't so, even think, so you know what I mean? Yeah, I mean, that's that's the thing. So I walk into this movie with no concept of what it's about. I know it's called Sound of Metal. I am aware that it's like about a drummer who loses his hearing. And the only other thing I really know about it is I'm looking at the IMDb page and the banner ad, the side ad, the poster, and the trailer <laughs> thumbnail are all just Riz Ahmed behind a set of drums in a black room. Like, so that's all I've got. So I'm walking into this thinking like, I know about the punk metal DIY lifestyle. I know a guy who used like the money from his parents who were weirdly wealthy to start a record label. I have been to the yeah. Nowhere House in Baltimore. I've been to a bunch of other places with these people. I know the, the way... Park Place, the Tacoma Park Place was the Death Star. Okay. There's another one I'm thinking of, too, then. Also <laughs> That's an awesome name for a there house. There was another one. I want to... I can't remember what it was called. There was, so there, there must have been another one, because I know there was one that was like... Specifically... Mm, Corpse Fortress. Corpse Fortress. Yes, that's it. Corpse yeah. Fortress. Okay. Wow. <laughs> This yes. is amazing. Yes. Corp Fortress. Yeah. Like half of the people I knew in the scene, like lived in the Corpse Fortress. Yeah. Yes. yes. 100%. Is that or more extreme music mm. or is that just, that's just what they called it. That's just what they called it. I mean, it was all very like thrashy. I mean, like hardcore was pretty much born in DC. So it's just all very mm. like thrashy, hardcore noise metal type of stuff. Yeah. I've... A lot of Fugazi covers. <laughs> When we were in high school, yes, a lot of Fugazi covers, a lot so of Bad Brains covers. By the, yeah. by the time that I was with these people in college, there were like no covers unless it was like, legitimately, this is the thing that happened, a joking yeah. cover of the Pete and Pete theme song. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like you Brian, had to... I feel like we probably have a lot of overlap in terms of the people that we knew. Probably. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Did you ever okay. go to the Miller yeah. House in Baltimore? I Probably, but I don't, I honestly don't remember. Anyway. It was a lot more of like Corpse Fortress stuff, and there was like a venue in Tacoma Park, and then also like the church venue. So, yeah, I mean, there were certainly places, but yeah. But so yeah. I'm used to like a tight knit community of people, like everyone knows everyone, you know, even, even if it's a punk show and it's like specifically like we're only doing like hardcore and crust punk like you know if if a metal band was like hey we we just happen to be in the area and we'd love to perform it's like yeah come to this thing like it's all a bunch of punks they're not you know your your type of people but like we'd still love to have you and so i was expecting it to be about a dude who's deep in the scene and having to kind of realize that he's lost like this major connection with the support network but this movie is like 
they are recovering addicts and they mm-hmm. like live together. They are the band like there's nothing else. And so for it just knocked me off my heels for a second because I was like, oh, like this is nothing like I thought it would be because these two <laughs> are living like a kind of weird, you know, band, literally a band apart, like kind of lifestyle. And um, God damn it, the second <laughs> the second that he you know, drops this news on her. She like goes to find him like a place where he can safely coast through it because he's an addict and she's worried about a relapse. And so he is immediately removed from the scene. And so I was just like, I really thought there'd be so much more metal in this movie. And so, you know, I won't say I'm disappointed. I was just thrown for a loop and I still liked the movie, but I said that on Slack. And Michael Snydell lost his mind (laughs) and like seemed as though you were really mad at me. (laughs) But I was just actually like, oh, this is I I thought this was going to be like a movie that like was about the metal scene and about this like, you know, slow movement away from it. Or can they find a way to exist within it? But no, that's not what it's about at all. That wasn't its intention. I'm not upset about it. I was just a little surprised. (laughs) It's still hey, a really good movie. <laughs> that's such that's such a niche con- like niche niche niche. That's Whichever. such a specific yeah, it's such a specific concern to have that I almost I I respect it. That's good. Right, well, it's the type of it's I mean Michael has to appreciate it. It's the type of thing that like almost seems like it's only me. Only I would care about it. Like, oh, yes. of course you lived in a metal DIY punk house and of course you were really excited to see that world reflected on it but you know it's just not what happened you know i would a bunch of kenosha emo diy places so i know exactly the i i mean when midwest emo is a lot of a little bit different than hardcore but in between (laughs) melvin's covers uh you heard a lot of midwest uh you know things like braid and things like promise ring and and all that type of stuff i heard a lot of that Brian, so, you just I, need to go back and watch that episode of Veep where they go to the auto bar. Oh yeah, yeah. Oh my god. Also, I love um, in in the loop when they go to the uh somewhere in somewhere in DC and just listen to hardcore like crazy. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Anyway, <laughs> but that's funny because actually I I saw that and I was like, oh, this really is a good like trenchant insight into like uh. DC culture because like 100% yes like I the the guy I knew who had like the metal label interned at the state department <laughs> I mean yeah there you go yep yeah yep he said he was rich so that makes sense <laughs> yep I mean this guy like signed bands Brian, from Japan I need you to tell me who it was off off the podcast <laughs> no I'm gonna dox him right now okay yeah <laughs> I will okay I'll tell you, like, this This is the kind of, like, th- like his his band was called Lotus Fucker. Oh, yeah, okay. Yes. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> and he yes. had an ethos that was, if your song is longer than a minute, and if you're able to perform more than, like, 15 songs in a set, you're not performing correctly, because you should be exhausted and broken by the end of that. Yes. He broke his hand once because in the throes of like, you know, his his screaming performance, he punched a metal pole that held up the basement. Mm. I mean, he was they, these people were uh, they were kind of intense. I don't know if you would have guessed that, but um, 
Anyway, so that's a quick trip down memory lane. Uh, Michael Tzidel, so glad you made me go through that again. No, I, I loved it. <laughs> I'm into it. <laughs> yes, but like I said, I was actually... I, so So what's funny is, and this can actually kind of help us now that everyone has done their nutshell thoughts an hour into this podcast. <laughs> um, that can actually kind of lead in. So like I was expecting it to be, again, like a deep dive look into the metal scene and the way that these people support each other. And instead, it's immediately like, Oh my God, like, you know, you've got to, you've got to get into rehab. And, you know, she was talking like, when you hurt yourself, I hurt myself. And, you know, it's like, we've been together four years. How long have you been clean? Like four years. And I was like, oh my God, I hope the movie realizes this is an incredibly codependent relationship. Mm -hmm. Because I was deeply concerned at first that it was romanticizing this. Um, and uh, without getting into spoilers, no, the movie knows what it is. And actually I was, I was happy to see the the ways in which it, uh, it went about kind of dealing with that and exploring his addiction, not as a specific love for a specific drug, but as a personality trait, which is what it is. Mm-hmm. And um, I thought that it was really incredible. And I also I think one of the reasons that I love Joe so much and Paul Racy's performance is his endless stream of insight, understanding and empathy. Yes. Like his character and the performance behind it are incredible. Yes. Yeah, I mean, I think there are a couple things that are, like, excellent. Wait, when, when can we do spoilers? Can we just do that now? When yeah, are let's we just do that? it. We're an hour in. Okay. Yeah. Okay. We all let's recommend this. Yeah. Correct. See the movie. Yeah. Um, there are a couple things that are very impressive to me. Uh, I really, as much as we're talking about Riz and Ruben, I really like Olivia Cook as Lou. And I thought that the finale of the film when Ruben goes to France and finds Lou and she's living with her father and it's pretty much like everything oppositional to what they experience together like they're rich as hell she's now performing with her dad and it's like an entirely different kind of music it's very that clear casting, yeah the, the casting I just want to mention that Matthew Almarek whoever you say his name I was like yes. oh my god yes. isn't it just Matthew uh, Amalric? Sure. sure. Amalric? Whichever version. version. Yeah, like I love that she, and and honestly, it's very heartbreaking because I feel like she is sort of, Lou is sort of reverting into the person her mother was and her mother killed herself. And I think there is very much a tragedy in that story as well. But at the same time, Lou had to move on and make her own choices and she couldn't wait for Ruben. I mean, that wouldn't have been healthy. And I don't think if that were the ending of the film, I think if that were the ending of the film, it would have supported the codependent nature of their relationship, which I think ultimately the movie is rejecting. So I very much liked that it ends with the sense of like, she loves him and she might always love him, but they can't do this anymore. Um, And when I talked to Martyr, he said that he very strongly wanted to also shoot a separate film from her perspective Mm -hmm. and like follow her in France and sort of follow her life, sort of like how they did with the disappearance of Eleanor Rigby, but just couldn't get the funding to do that. But one thing that I thought was very interesting is he said that they shot linearly, like in terms of time. So when Ruben and Lou separate, 
they actually separated in terms of filming and like Olivia Cook left and they were separated for like six weeks. And so having done so much like pre-production work together, there was like a tight bond between those actors. So it like better informed them leaving each other, which mm-hmm. I thought worked very well. And I appreciated that aspect of the film, but I do agree that sort of the middle portion when Ruben is in the community, I think, could lose some people because I think that it is probably like the slowest, most deliberate part of the movie. Mm-hmm. But I also love it because he almost is like an afterthought in that portion of the film. Like this community is thriving and knows each other and has relationships and they're living their lives outside of Ruben. And he's there and like they are friendly to him and accommodate mm-hmm. him and all that stuff. But like the movie doesn't do that thing where suddenly he is like accepted into this community and everybody's like encouraging him and accepting him. And like, bleh, like he needs to figure out, he's his not going to show them himself. how to love or something. Yeah. yeah. Like yeah. he well, needs to figure you're not out his here shit for, himself. You're not here for us. We're here for you. Like he, he tries to fix an Eve on a house mm-hmm. and Joe is like, that's no, we don't stop it. You don't have yeah. to do any, like your job yeah. on the board is learn to be deaf. <laughs> Right. Yep. That's it. Like, that's what you have to do. And so there's some really beautiful moments. I mean, the moment with the slide and him drumming on the slide is probably mm-hmm. the closest you get to that sort of like heartwarming movie yeah. moment. But like Ruben also rejects it and he makes the choice to try to quote unquote fix himself in like the most disrespectful way possible. Well, one thing that I was really struck by during that middle portion and, and yeah, I, I truly feel like that's, that's the heart and soul of the film. And I feel mm-hmm. like that's where it probably loses some people um, just because it is slow. It's a different pace, you know, things of that nature. Um, but it's also kind of hard to follow like his, his own kind of journey in this until he starts to learn sign language and he starts to open up. But one thing I was really struck by was there's a scene where they're all kind of like talking in a circle and they're noticeably like talking about Ruben, but they're not using words. They're not, they're not audibly speaking, right? A few of them are are saying some words out loud here and there, but for the most part, none of them are talking. And up until this point, it's, they've been kind of holding his hand. Uh, Joe specifically have been kind of holding his hand and talking to him and, and like giving him a chance to kind of catch up. And at this moment, they don't give a fuck. Like they're mm-hmm. sign languaging, uh, or signing and like talking around him and not directly talking to him and helping him along. And I was like, what the fuck is going on? Why are, why are none of them talking? And then I was like, and then it kind of pulls the camera, kind of switches perspectives, and it becomes from his perspective, and all you hear is muffled tones. And I was like, oh, fuck, that's right. He didn't, he didn't have an ounce of hearing anymore. And right. it, it just reminded me of like my own perspective of like, what the situation like what i would expect it to be um in a way he is kind of like a child thrown into the mix with a bunch of adults and over time it's like yeah i expect this child to learn you know to speak a language or learn learn some form of communication and then you know eventually they'll 
they'll fit in. But yeah, right now, no. We're right, not, he's we're he's not like gonna, my daughter watching a hidden life with me. Yeah, yeah. I mean, we're we're not about to sit here and explain everything that's going on because it would just take too long. So right. we're gonna have a conversation. You're gonna be on the outside of it. And that's just the way it is until you dedicate yourself and learn sign language or learn how to read lips or or both. Right. And I think the thing that's interesting, too, in that point is like it's not just like he goes to like a deaf community and like accept me or whatever. Like it's a community of recovering addicts as well. So like Mm -hmm. everybody is dealing with their own shit. And I think Mm -hmm. it's very much in that way. It sort of makes Ruben not ununique but you know what i mean like it puts in perspective that like he is not alone in going through this but he is alone in going through this and he Mm -hmm. needs to put forth the work himself to do that and so i think then when you know he makes the choice to not put in the work it becomes an example of that like addictive personality of like well i'm just gonna try to fix this well it's weird because it's not even that he doesn't put in the work it's that he decides to undo the work like he yes that's a very good point yes he leave it behind he he has come to the point where joe even says like you like should be here like you know there's like places for you like we can make use of you like i you know you seem like a great guy and like and he, he he makes the choice to reject that and so it's it's even worse than him just like petulantly saying like no i'm going to ignore this it's he has done the work and is willing to throw it away to try to get back what he had previously my my only concern about that sequence and it it is a truly heartbreaking sequence when joe is basically like you have to pack your bags and go because we are a community built on the foundation that believes that you know the loss of hearing is not a disability right it's not something to fix it is this is life now he says too like it's reiterated obviously in that scene but it's it's said i think in that first sequence where they are speaking in in the the upstairs room mm-hmm. as well he says well, like we're here to fix this not this and he points at his head and then points yes. at his ears sure yes, I, right. I i i forgot about that sequence but i i i do kind of wish that we maybe had touched on it one more time before this sequence happens because it feels like if riz understood this that this is this is what this community is kind of built on and and all of these beautiful nice things that there's no way in hell that he would go back and you know ask for a place to stay while he like he would be ashamed to show his face but the issue is that he i mean and joe even says it is like i don't know what your situation is right now but you sound a lot like an addict Mm-hmm. Yeah. And like I have, uh, you know, I, I know a lot of people who've been into metal and I've known a lot of people who've been into drugs. And um, the, that is a true statement. Like when you have relapsed or or something is, is happening or, you know, you're just back in that headspace, you do irrational things that you probably in a state of clarity would know are like a bad thing. Like, you know, before he realized that that Lou was like, you know, performing on her own and possibly moving on without him, he probably never would have asked for like yeah. uh, 26,000 plus 10% uh, to get his his Airstream back. I mean, he probably wouldn't have sold the Airstream in the goddamn first place, you know, or wouldn't have asked to stay for four weeks. Like he, mm-hmm. he would have known better. But there's a point in 
in either, you know, an addictive personality or what's sometimes wrapped up in like, you know, and I don't say this like judgmentally, but just kind of clinically like a narcissistic personality where you just do what you feel like is necessary for you and then hope that the world falls into place to aid you in it. Mm hmm. Mm hmm. And, yeah, um, like like you know, you know, you're you're looking for a handout in in a certain way, right? You're 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 expecting things to just kind of work out because that's that's the way a lot of you know people, especially with an addictive personality, probably probably kind of move through their life is you know they'll have ups and downs, but you know they still kind of get through. And so at a certain point, yeah, they they expect the world to kind of give them a hand a little bit here and there. Yeah. And they don't, they don't look at any of the things that have been done for them previously as help or, or aid because those are just things you're supposed to do for me. Like mm -hmm. it's, it's only when I specifically ask that it becomes a thing and odds are he would have forgotten about it a couple days later and, you know, been able to turn around and say with complete and utter, you know, interior emotional honesty, like you haven't done anything for me. Mm -hmm. Right. I think he sees so much of it as like something that he is going through alone. Mm -hmm. And so there is no or very little ability to recognize what everybody else is also going through. And yeah, well, I think, sorry, I was just gonna say, I think that speaks also to like the toxic masculinity part of this is I feel like he feels the weight of like, I got to take care of Lou. I mean, we see from the very beginning how much it seems like he in a lot of ways does take care of her like wakes mm -hmm. her up makes her breakfast gets her ready to go like i think that he takes a lot of the responsibility of their relationship on himself and has convinced himself that he can save her and that he's the only one that can save her mm -hmm. and i think that's also what makes that sequence in france like devastating for both of them because i think that she sort of went to somebody who probably is doing that for her i mean her father is wealthy and he has a wait staff and this is a certain type of life that will provide for her mm -hmm. and i also think it articulates for ruben that like he could have stayed you know what i mean like not that they don't love each other or any of that yeah. stuff but just that like he could have stayed and continued to work on himself and that would have been fine and mm -hmm. i think that sets up like the perfect tragedy of that ending which is him finally sort of accepting that this is his life now. But mm -hmm. I think he sort of has to go through that burning of bridges to get there. Mm -hmm. Which is unfortunate because yeah, he's, it, it doesn't sound like he's necessarily in debt, but he certainly sold a lot of things to get these. He's not in debt. He's these, just completely poor. Like, yes. Yeah. And, and, and otherwise he would have around 40 grand in the bank. And he's like, what the fuck did I just do? Like, why, right. why did I, why did I go down this path? And I, I also feel like there's such a, there's such a crestfallen look to his face. That is exactly what you're kind of describing, Brian, when, when he first turns on those implants and you see that the doctor is like, yeah, bro, we talked about this. The sound is not going to be good. Like, you're right. not going to hear it's that. It's not one. crystal it's not clear, high fidelity. Yeah. Like, it's an implant that is tricking your brain. Yeah. You know, it's it's good for, like, situational awareness, you know, and one-on-one and -on -one conversations. But, like, it's not your hearing back. Yeah. Right. And, and, and this is definitely one of those things where I, I'm curious why 
insurance companies wouldn't necessarily cover it. But also when you see or when you hear the results and, you know, these are a modified version of it because I imagine uh, I imagine that there's no way to actually like hear what that sounds like. Um, I'm sure they can do some kind of, I mean, if, you know, if you're reimagining who who has had your hearing and now you have this, I'm sure you can explain it in a way that allows uh, like, you know, at least, I don't know, 75% fidelity in a sound mix. Sure. But but it it is interesting that like an insurance company won't, won't cover this. And then you actually hear the result and you're like, well, yeah, because that's, that's, that's a, you know, 30% better, but it's not quite there still, you know, like those sequences when he's, it's proven to be, slightly unnecessary like and i mean that's kind of what the 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 guy at uh, that's what joe says like this isn't a disability we're not here to fix our hearing like we're here to fix the way that we perceive things and the way that we feel about things and you see these people living like like those people have a better dinner party than i've had in in months like they just it's a nice i noticed it's like one thing i noticed is but that what they, I will say they about have that conversations though. while they're yeah. eating and and are not fussed about it because they're using their hands to talk. And I was like, right. oh, that's a workaround. I didn't even think about that. So. The only thing I'll say though is that I, I'm very wary to say that health insurance doesn't cover hearing aids because it's not a disability. Do you know what I mean? Like I just feel Right. Like- well that's I mean that's that's the <laughs> I love the I love the mindset of everything that Joe is saying, but there is a part of me that's like, you know, it's I I don't like how people feel disempowered by, you know, self-proclaiming or hearing that they have a disability. But I also think that that then can be used as a reason to, for instance, not cover things for insurance or uh, generally to be a dick to someone who could use a leg up. Yes, because like certainly if you just from like personal experience I've had with my family members, like, yes, a lot of hearing, a lot of health insurance companies don't cover it. And it's just one of those things that they just don't cover in the same way that they don't cover like glasses or certain kinds of dental surgery or Mm -hmm. like any of these things that really are like a quality of life. But from whatever shitty algorithm they use to figure out how much money they can fucking save each year, it doesn't matter what your quality of life is, but we're not going to cover LASIK because why would like we we cover the glasses? Like, why do you need LASIK? Like, it's like a boutique, almost like what you would call like a cosmetic thing because, Oh, you just don't maintaining a certain hierarchy Yeah, is Mm -hmm. how I feel about it. Yeah. But it's not like, like, okay, you don't want to cover plastic surgery, like whatever, but yeah, you don't cover like things that would help me see. Okay. Yeah, no, it's it's crazy. I mean, I, I I have I have seen that happen. Like my my insurance, you know, is pretty good. It covers a bunch of stuff, but like if it's if it's like purely cosmetic braces work, or if it's if it's like some sort of thing to have you do with the eyes, like they'll cover contacts and and uh, and glasses, but like they probably wouldn't cover like a LASIK surgery because it's like I don't right. know, do you do like are you. <laughs> what are you like a pilot? Like you can't just have some glasses. Like what the hell's wrong with you? And it's like, I mean, maybe I'm just shitty with glasses. Like, why does it matter? (laughs) (laughs) Don't I pay you enough? But yeah, I mean like in the context of the film, him wanting to get this surgery done is like very much an affront to 
their lifestyle and their values and sort of what they are trying to do with this community. And so I do understand, you know, I do think the movie provides empathy for both sides. Like, I I think it does allow you to understand where Ruben is coming from while also being like, this was like a very disrespectful choice though. Yeah. yeah, cuz he's he's done all this again, it's what I said. Like it's not that he won't do the work, it's that he's already done this work. It's that he has integrated with these these people. And yeah, I imagine that for them to see him come back and be like, "I did it, guys. I got this." Like that would be uh, an affront. It would just be it would be so hurtful to know mm-hmm. that what you thought you would it like engage this person and and forged a bond with him. And now to see that he still views you as broken and in need of fixing. So, like, it makes perfect sense to me. I mean, especially because, as we've said, it is not just a a home for the deaf. It's a home for deaf addicts. Mm -hmm. And this this movie, you know, is pretty smart about the fact that, like, you had a major life change. You're feeling unstable. Like, that's a trigger. Like, you need to find a place to help you out. And for them, this could be that. Like, to be to be shown that i mean like when when i have friends who are in recovery in like a real way and like you know if they lose a job or there's a death in the family it's like well i gotta go to a meeting like i uh even if i don't feel the need i know that this is one of those things that can creep up on you and so i need to be near someone that Mm -hmm. that gets it and so like for them seeing him make this drastic change could could function in that way and um and he would be a disruptive especially for four weeks like that's a very long time to have to be staring at that mm-hmm. and go, i mean to go the, back a little oh sorry Brian. well i was go gonna say, very briefly like the person who was helping him sell of his stuff mm-hmm. knew that like could see it but you know did it anyway yeah yeah Michael, because because at, at a certain point, you just you, you know that you're not going to be able to talk them out of it. And at the at the very least, you are not necessarily harming them. You yeah, I, I, yeah, I, I kind of go back and forth. Maybe you are. Maybe you aren't. But but you're you're hoping that they maybe make the right decision in that point or, you know, uh, you know, are, are going to go against your your darker kind of thoughts. Right. Um but yeah, I mean, I mean, that's a tough position to be in. In, in it's also a terrible like, position to put someone in. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Yeah, I mean, it, it's it's like shit. Like, do I say no to selling this stuff? And like, I don't know if you are one hundred percent going to fuck yourself over. You know, maybe you are doing this for the right reasons. So you know, it's hard. Michael Snydell, you were going to say something. Yeah, I, well, there's I, well, I just want to briefly respond to. I mean, Bill's thing is interesting because, in a way, I, I obviously he is undoing the work. I, I want to make that clear, but he is kind of doing it for <laughs> something that could be viewed as the right reasons. It's, like it, it is a more complicated addiction story in the sense that, or, or not more complicated, but you know, it's not about uh him backpedaling you know into his heroin habit or something like it is technically him and i i think it's really interesting that they do that but the i want to say the realization that i was thinking about while we're talking about this going a little further back uh we jumped over some of the experiences he had getting better and i wanted to speak about lauren ridloff uh, for a bit, who is the uh, wonderful sign language teacher at the elementary school. And I was thinking about 
the the fact that not the film does something really brilliantly in the fact that they structure Paul Racy's program uh, for Riz's character specifically around the idea that he needs to do the work on his own. He's only giving him the tools. Like you think about the 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 fact that he's put in that put in the room in the morning and you know he needs to write until he can feel stillness when when he first goes again to this sign language teacher played by uh a ridloff like he he's so impatient and, and he's bothered that the fact that all of these students who many of them grew up deaf um are just so much farther ahead of him but i just want to say i think that that's what is is partly so like sly about about this movie like it's it's very strange to say paul racy like he's fantastic in this but he's in this the right amount like they could have made it so he's someone who's like constantly mm-hmm. talking to riz and that's like that's not the case at all like as all of you guys are bringing up like it's it's not this idea like it's maintenance it's it like he's riz his character is looking at it as survival as you know okay i'm gonna learn american sign language i'm gonna use that to get the cochlear implants i'm gonna use that to then find lou but like everyone else as you're saying brian it's it's as you were saying a little bit earlier it's it's maintenance it's like trying to put yourself on an even keel and to put yourself in a place where you maybe can't thrive but yeah i don't know I don't know. I, just, what that's, I, <clears throat> I would say that please. he's in no way doing it for the right reason. <laughs> like it doesn't matter about getting getting back to Lou. I think that I think that this is going to sound awful. Lou is the problem. Like he replaced <gasps> Jesus Christ. Um, <laughs> Wait, what? I think that I think my read of this situation is that he replaced heroin and drugs with his codependency with Lou and to see yeah. her operating alone he needs Lou back like he he needs to go back and get her because he doesn't know what his life is like without her so she has become in a way his new addiction because a lot of addiction is about routine and feeling something that you don't feel anywhere else and she is that for him so he you know, instead of sell, selling his airstream to get heroin, he's selling his airstream to get Lou. He like there's a reason that Joe says, you know, I don't know what your situation is, but you're acting and sounding a lot like an addict right now, and it's because he is, and he needs his fix, and his fix is Lou. Like it, the movie slyly sets up the fact that this is a codependent relationship, and his, he, you know, just seeing the way that he like being part of her band and supporting her like literally sonically with the drums and like getting up and making the the shakes and everything like that is the thing you're... that he has replaced his chemical dependency on drugs with and if and he is working through his deafness with an eye towards returning to it and the idea of losing it and entering a brand new life is is terrifying to him because his new life is possibly healthy and doesn't involve, you know, being supported through the routine and repetition of his addiction to to being with Lou. I mean, I'm not saying that she did it on purpose. 
you know, but that is definitely the way that he is acting. I mean, there's a reason that he keeps breaking into that office to like, you know, keep, keep talking to her like that. He's still not being 100% true to the program because the program is supposed to be, you don't talk to Lou. Lou doesn't talk to you. You know, you don't have your phone. You don't have your airstream. You don't have any connection with her because you need to do the work on yourself. So he is still throughout the course of the movie, even though we see him doing a lot of really great work on himself, he is still betraying the program even before he goes to get the implants. But I think you're discounting the agency of Lou as a, as a person and not being empathetic to her in, in the same way. I recognize that once he enters the program that he did agree to those things. And I can see how these things are him undoing the work. But I think that also suggests that there was a toxic relationship before he started losing his hearing. And I absolutely did not read it that way. I I think codependency emerges when, when those two are no longer on... Uh, forgive my wording here because I'm going to make it sound like I'm marginalizing disabilities, but uh, that they're no longer on the same level. So therefore, they are going back into bad habits. I, that's that's my problem about calling like it, her the drug or the problem is like we're not giving nearly enough credit to her. And that suggests that she's been someone who is usually drawn him into sorry into um into bad habits well no i think that you're i think you're misinterpreting what i say when she's the problem i don't think she's the reason he started heroin she's she's explicitly called out as the reason that he stopped but i'm saying that you know it's I don't even, I don't, I don't, I don't 100% know how to defend myself. Uh, Roxanne, it sounded like when I said that you agreed with me. Can you think of Um, what to say here? No, I, well, I, I disagreed with you because I thought you were saying that you thought the character was the problem. I don't think the character is the problem. I think that his, he ties her with being able to get back to what his life was like before. Mm -hmm. And so I think that he transfers his identity into being represented by returning to her. So I do agree with mm. you in terms of like his addictive personality. Like it's very clear. Like they do chart this in the film that they met, got together. He stopped doing heroin. I think she stopped cutting and they both yeah. helped each other work through the trauma of her mother's suicide and his drug addiction. And um obviously become very wrapped up in each other i don't think their relationship is toxic but i do think it's codependent and i think it's one of those things where their identities are entirely each other their work is with each other they live with each other they travel with each other like they are each other's whole person and there's something very romantic in that which i can respond to and i also think there's something very dangerous in that yeah. Because once the band gets taken away from him, Lou gets taken away from him, and then his identity gets taken away from him. It's like a house of cards or, you know, like mm-hmm. a bunch of tiles falling over. So sure. I I think I agree with Brian in terms of like he is desperate to get back to her, but I just am very hesitant to call her the problem because I think there might be a certain 
segment of people, not listeners of this fine show, <laughs> but I think there could be a certain segment of people who watch this film and are, and are like, wow, lose a bitch. Why didn't she take him back? You know what I mean? And like, that's not what the film is doing. What the film is saying is that both of them needed to be separate from each other to try to work through who they are. And maybe this is who Lou is more comfortable being. Maybe returning to Belgium. I kept calling it France because it confuses me when people speak French. Um, <laughs> oh, they're like, in Belgium? I don't think I realized yeah, that. I heard the... I don't think I realized yeah. And I was like, ah, oh, Paris. <laughs> yeah, like I'm pretty sure I thought it was France, but then I think I remembered in the press notes that it says Belgium, wherever, <laughs> Europe, amorphous Europe. Um, but I think like, you know, she goes back there to try to find maybe who she was before the self-harm and before Ruben. And so I just think like they both represent at the end of their reunion very different things for each other. Um, but I think what is exciting about the ending is the idea that Ruben has accepted that like this is his life and this is his reality and he has to live with it and I think you know I think there were a lot of there were a lot of very flawed things about True Detective in subsequent seasons but I think a lot about Rust Cole's line about knowing who you are and how there's a victory in that Mm -hmm. and I think that final shot of Ruben taking out the implants and it just being utter silence is a very quiet moment of like triumph and reflection and acceptance and all of those things that you would hope that he would be working toward that it seems like he finally can now that there is some sort of path forward yes he's broke all that stuff is bad (laughs) but i think like i think in terms of like interiority and his identity i do think the movie ends on a somewhat sad but still ultimately hopeful note right and i just i will i will clarify in case it wasn't obvious i don't think that lou is like actively a villain right yeah i think that she is a i said she was the problem because michael snydell was like oh he did it for a good reason to get back to her and i'm not saying that it's specific to her but the way ruben views her is an issue and his right. attempt to return to her should not be lionized as a good reason to do what he did. To and be I think fair, that- I was not saying it should be lionized. I was saying it's a different uh, angle of what we usually get in an addiction story. Yes, unless um, indeed someone. It's not like he's doing that to go get a fix, which I'm not saying you know that would be inherently a problem or inherently a trope. I'm just saying this yeah. is a different angle. Like it he, is a different angle, but again, I would I had, would argue that she is now the thing he needs a fix of to feel steady in the way that he used to need drugs. I have to say I didn't I didn't think that coming in, but I think you've both made a very strong case for that. And I, and I will it. also say <laughs> I, I also I also don't have much experience with codependency. So I I, I will say that some of this stuff is is somewhat foreign uh, to my understanding of relationships. Um, I do want to say the one bad thing about Lou is the frosted eyebrows. No, the eyebrows are perfect. No. no. Welcome to the next 40 minutes of the podcast. No, No, the eyebrows are very good and they're great. And I don't even know who you are right now. 
Wow. Yeah, Michael <laughs> has become a completely different person. Um, Speaking of Chris's, uh, I agree with Michael. Uh, Thor is much better without the blonde eyebrows as well. <laughs> uh, speaking Which, of speaking of Chris's, how dare they shave Chris Evans as Captain America? Like his body? No, his beard. Remember when he had the beard for like three scenes and then they oh, took it away? Yes. His beard was oh, very yeah, hot. Yeah, yeah. Yes. yes. I thought yes. you meant his okay. body hair because Chris you're, you're talking about the, the snap beard. The snap beard. Yeah. Or no, yes. no, no. That's, no, it was pre snap. It was his fugitive beard. Yeah. It was like his I'm on the run and I don't have time to shave beard. <laughs> I can yeah. still do like 400 burpees a day, but I just right. can't find the time to get out some clippers. Look, he, he has an advanced physiology. It's, it's super soldier syndrome. He, he doesn't have to work out. It's it's, it's okay. <laughs> oh, I thought you were going to say that his hair grows too much. No, no. <laughs> it's like his, Archer. Archer is like my hilarious. That would be hilarious if his hair follicles are too strong so he can't shave. That's perfect. I would actually laugh so much at that. <laughs> I can barely get a comb through this. My barber charges me double. <laughs> God, it's terrible. Oh, man. Anyways. Um, we are rapidly approaching the point at which uh, Roxana needs to go. So I would love to throw it to you. Is there any final thoughts that you had in this movie? Anything we didn't get a chance to talk about? Um, Hot man. seat. Uh, no, I think we covered it all pretty much. I, I would say, though, and I know I said this earlier, but I do think it's a really interesting double feature with something like Blue Valentine, which mm-hmm. is another movie that like low-key devastates me and I think Jesus. is about the idea of like love and how both empowering and destructive it can be and just how time together and apart can both change you like i think that sound of metal is more clearly the analog with place beyond the pines and i did ask it was actually funny i i put this on twitter so you guys might have seen it so i'm sorry for for repeating myself but i mentioned that i liked riz ahmed's whole look and how much it reminded me of luke and darius martyr was like yeah i understand your like sexualized subtext there but i do think that (laughs) I do think that um, I think those two movies are very clearly about a certain kind of transformation, but I do think it's worth revisiting Blue Valentine because I think that like Sean France and Martyr sort of play with like the same themes of like codependency and obsession and addiction. And I I think those are all worth watching if you just want to like crawl into bed and never leave. (laughs) (laughs) And again, you know, just that that dyed blonde hair is just it a really real works. theme across these movies. It works very well. So I am yeah. not universally against dyed blonde hair. I just didn't like it on Olivia Cook. I- I'm sorry. Oh, I was talking about Riz Ahmed and Ryan Gosling. I wasn't even yeah. thinking of Olivia no, Cook. They're blonde. Yeah, the eyebrows. Just it. it they yes, the eyebrows. Blonde. Yes, Ble- but bleached eyebrows are very much like a female punk thing. Like it's very much a cornerstone yeah. of the whole look. Yep. So I do think that was one of those things that was easy for them to be like, "Look, she's hardcore," you know. <laughs> <laughs> then she need a piercing. She needed a piercing on the eyebrow. Doesn't she have? Oh, doesn't she? Doesn't she have a septum piercing? I think so. Yes, I yes. want to say yes. 
Yeah. But the, not the eyebrow. I just found the eyebrows distracting. And she's really good in this. She is I, very I, good in this. Michael, are you I, sure I you like want to this say, to be the last thing that you bring up on this episode? No, I was going to say something good. Uh, I, I, I think her speaking of a scene uh, that could go in easier ways. I think their last sequence uh, together before she gets in the car and uh, she leaves him to get to. <laughs> I have to say, Emily was like, uh, she, she couldn't drive him there and then have a lift. <laughs> also, best actor um, of the year goes to the guy playing the lift driver who just has to keep staring <laughs> forward as though he can't hear everything they're talking about. <laughs> but yeah, I think that sequence is like uh, it's it's melodramatic. I I, I mean. I, th- Ugh, I hate that word because melodrama is not a bad word at all, but it it's broad and, and big in a way that really works. Like I, I love the kind of uh, the gestures and how extreme everything they're saying to each other is like, like the fact that they can barely, you know, touch each other. Cause it's just such like <sighs> a, a conflicted moment. It's, it's a really, it's a really beautiful piece of acting and it's like if that marriage story scene was good. How's that, Brian? <laughs> that, I love that. Um, Shots fired. Oh, man. Yes. Did you like marriage story? Uh, I did. But I thought yeah, it was very... Yeah, I did too. Okay, we I don't have time. Very, we, we just... <laughs> we're out of time. We're out of time right now. I thought it was very performative. I didn't necessarily think it was genuine. But I, I liked how much everyone was acting. Hmm. Yes, but I just wanted to be a dickhead. <laughs> the only reason I'm cool with that marriage story scene is because of the meme. The meme is funny. <laughs> the meme keeps my, on giving. Yeah. My favorite meme of that meme is it's a four panel and it has uh, Adam Driver screaming sweet Caroline and then it just shows him hitting the wall three times. <laughs> anyway, that's, um, that's, the, that's the other that's the other three panels. Yeah. <laughs> we're so mature we're it's just so very cool. insightful commentary happening this over is here. why we get paid you know the big bucks right you know, like 70 <laughs> cents an episode <laughs> <laughs> right like who gets paid we get paid <laughs> i have like four jobs i get paid for one of them yes, yes. um what was i gonna say i my, okay so we do have to close out i just would be remiss i would hate myself if i didn't say that the scene where she's singing and it goes to him and like slowly the mix changes into what he can hear is a uh, really, really, really good use of sound mixing and design. Mm-hmm. Um, this is also a movie I wish I'd seen in a theater because I feel mm-hmm. like in my house where like when my dog scratches, uh, she makes her collar <laughs> jingle really, really loudly is a bad <laughs> place to watch a movie about someone going deaf where, deaf where the sound design is trying to reflect that. That's it for today, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you so much for joining us. Uh, don't forget to go to mubi.com slash filmstage for a free uh, 30-day subscription to MUBI. Uh, you can check out Solving Puzzles, the cinema of Han sang Su. Again, that's mubi.com slash filmstage. Don't forget to go to patreon.com slash filmstage show to give us your money. And Michael Snydell, what are we talking about next week? Oh, God, I think it's Tenet. It's Tenet. Is it Tenet or is it Tenet? I said it's, that backwards. Uh, the same back and forth. It didn't forwards. change. Yeah, I know. Yeah. Uh, Jordan Raup, our benevolent got, Lord and I, Master. I got called out from Jordan Raup. Uh, Raup? 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 Just say it right the first time. Just call him our benevolent Lord and Master. What's wrong with you? Yes, he loves that. <laughs> All right. Hold, 
Hold on just a sec. Uh, talk, uh, Brian, and I will confirm. Why is this taking so long? What is happening this even? Is, this is weird. Like, I don't... Are we doing a time jump thing? Are I don't we know. Doing, like, a meta <laughs> I have meta no idea thing? what Michael Snydell is doing right now. Uh, we're going to be talking about Tenet. It's going to be awesome. Get ready for the thirst for, like, apparently everyone who is in that movie. Um, And, uh, yeah, I think that's it. Um, Let's... Uh, Michael, did you have a thing to say before we start plugging? No, uh... It, on the 18th, we're supposed Go to do ahead. small acts, I thought. No, I think oh, we... see? See, this is why, Bill. This is... Yeah, no. Uh, Small... Okay, I'm sorry, guys. We are not doing Tenet next week, maybe? Although it's out now? Thanks, thanks, Bill. I can see it on the Google Doc. <laughs> uh, December 18 is, is listed as small acts films, and we're thinking about... Maybe doing a twofer of Lover's Rock, Mangrove. I'm not sure. Uh, I will say Lover's Rock is in my top five films of the year. Just fantastic. Um, so you yeah, know what's funny? I, I keep meaning to watch Small Axe, but it is on Amazon. And Amazon never tells me that it's on there. And so I keep forgetting <laughs> whenever I go to find something to watch. So anyway, uh, we'll tweet out whatever we're watching next week. Um, cool. So you can check it out because clearly there's confusion. Um, but let's we have to get out of here. Roxana has another podcast, too, because she is very, very important and very, very popular. Um, let's. <laughs> OK. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, are you not? Do you deny it? Yes. I No, no, no. Well, I deny your, your voice. Your, your voice is desired. Oh, well, am I saying that? Am I saying that right? Is, I is think, that, yeah. I don't like Did you? It was like weird. Yeah. Sad. I'm sorry. I apologize it for that. It depends on what, like, <laughs> it depends on the definition of voice that you intended. Please don't tell me which it was. Let it, <laughs> let the mystery live what? forever. No. Why would you put that into the world? Thank you. This cool. just became much more awkward. Okay, keep going. Uh, Dig yourself out. I have been trying to end this for like five minutes now. Let's tell the fine people at home where we can be found between now and the next time that we're in their ears. We begin as always with our guests, Roxana Dottie. Where can people find your work online? Uh, you can just follow me on Twitter or uh, look me up on Rotten Tomatoes, where I am now a top critic. What? Um, but yeah. Yeah. So that's pretty tight. Can, but um, you, yeah. people love you your voice. Specific things. If you want, Roxana, this will come out shortly uh, tomorrow or the next day. Um, I'm trying to think. Uh, <laughs> you could read my review of Promising Young Woman that's coming to Polygon. And I have some other year end stuff hitting for the AV Club and RogerEbert.com nice. and Pajiva. Yeah. All right. Bill Graham. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at CableBFG. You can also find me on Instagram at Billstagram. Um, what else is going on? Uh, I will be taking a break next week, so uh, you will not hear my voice uh, doing small acts slash tenet slash whatever the hell they're talking about. So there you go. Michael Snydell. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at Snydell Letterbox, where uh, I am distressed by how much I don't like some of the awards movies. And... Uh, <laughs> Uh, yeah, I know, Roxana. Uh, <laughs> and um, what was I saying? You oh, had yeah, really I, harsh I thoughts wrote, on Hillbilly Elegy. <laughs> I wrote about Gunda recently, uh, a devastating black and white film about a, a pig and its litter. Uh, I also wrote about uh, Kiyoshi Kurosawa's Excellent to the Ends of the Earth. And I'll have, um, by the time you hear this, I uh, should be a part of, uh, I'll have about five blurbs in the Spool Best Up list. Nice. Um, are, you, are you writing yeah. what, On the Rocks? I am not. But okay. I, that, 
I hear drums in the background. Yes, I am playing the playout music. <laughs> All right, I'm done. Because I'm done. Okay, okay, Michael we're done. is we're wrapping done. up. We're done. We're done. We're done. <laughs> That could be one of those times where I have to start the song all over again. Um, so, yeah, uh, as for myself, you can find all my stuff at BrianJerone.com, uh, BrianJerone on Twitter, and, of course, uh, TheFilmStage.com, where you can find my writing and uh, every episode of the show. I will also say that I was on my friend's podcast. That is the matinee.ca. Uh, I talked about Mank a little more. Um, there was not a many Mank puns, so if you had trouble getting through our Mank episode, you can go listen to his instead. And uh, Go Mank that- yourself. God, thank you, Bill. Um, so that is that. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, thank you so much for joining us and to tune in next week. 